Hi, my name's Joe Houghton, and this is the Plus One Podcast. I feel really honoured today that my guest is Tomas O'Rourke, and I hope I've pronounced that right. Um, Great. Um, Who wears many hats. He is, amongst other things, CEO of the Teaching Council of Ireland, a poet and a writer, and has had a varied career in teaching and, and more recently in educational leadership. He co-hosts the Lighting a Fire podcast series, hosts the Learning for All webinars, produces a, a great blog called Bazinga that I really look forward to pinging into my feed now. Um, and so I guess from Bazinga that you're a fan of the Big Bang Theory. Um, yeah, yeah I, I guess you must be because that's one of Sheldon's, um, mm-hmm. Sheldon's quotes, isn't it? Um, your Twitter profile describes you as proud father, fortunate husband, poet, enthusiastic learner and teacher. I learn, reflect and share, chase the wind and touch the sky. And I just I just love that order of the descriptions, because for me, that kind of tells me what's fundamentally important to you and the order. So let's start there. I mean, let's just just kick us off with that one, because that's a lovely introduction to you. Well, what's fundamentally important to me, I think, Joe, and thank you for the very generous introduction. It's a great to, to have this opportunity just to think and talk uh, about what really matters to us all. Um, and I think it's fair to say that what's fundamentally important to me, my, my clear understanding of it has deepened over time. Mm. So when I was in school, I was one of those hit the books people. Okay. You know, get the results, pass the exams, etc. But I do remember vividly coming into my late teens and early college years that, you know, I was getting super results, full points to leave and start, all that kind of stuff, but missing a relationship in my life, missing a girlfriend as it happened at the time, and that this aching gap. And I think that's probably explains the Twitter profile piece. And it's almost like a reminder to myself as much as a as a statement of, of, of fundamental truth, there are times in life when you might forget those things. When yes. you can get up in the vortex, like we did it last, maybe in the very parts of COVID, mm. crazy hours, big pressures, and so on. I remember very clearly actually um, getting frustrated that my wife and the kids were going out for walks each day because the girls were at home, uh, schools were closed. I'm thinking, oh, they're going for walks. Why can't, why don't, I can't even join them. Yeah. I was thinking, I couldn't have a more favorable circumstance. I'm at home. I'm literally upstairs from them. Yeah. What's stopping me? Mm. So it, that process of reflection and constant kind of self-challenge, proud father, fortunate husband, and so on, it's really that sense of uh, when you put it out there, it's a commitment in public. Yes. And uh, it's a helpful reminder. But isn't it, isn't, isn't it true what you say that sometimes we need to remind ourselves? We, we need to have it almost in front of us now and then uh, and and I was just the same I mean you know back-to-back zoom calls all that kind of stuff and and five o'clock pretty much every day for the last 18 months we've done the park and you know now we have a new Labrador puppy to do the park with as well um, <laughs> and sometimes even just for 20 minutes at, at 12 o'clock or half 12 or whatever between you know meetings or just take part of the lunch break or whatever just walk uh it's become so important to us all hugely 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 yeah so so i mean that that that's that was a that was a lovely start so so poet enthusiastic learner and teacher reflection and sharing and and, and stuff so so i mean 
you know, I, I met you first when you were um, on one of the panels for the Innovation Academy. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I, I thought, Tomas is no way he's going to even reply back to a request. You know? <laughs> I was I was flabbergasted when I got the got the reply saying you'd, you'd, you'd love to come up. So that's wonderful. But I mean, you, you seem to be a sh- you seem to be a sharer. I mean, you run a podcast, you, you do the web webinars, you, you do the blog. This is this seems to be in your DNA. Yes, I, I, and I'm realizing more and more just how much it is. So again, like you know, in school, um, the general sense, but what I remember would be a sense of you you get the notes and you keep it to yourself because you've got to get the top results, the top yeah. marks to get into the course you want to get. And yet, when I went back to a, 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 an award ceremony in my school, CBS St Mary's Academy in Carlow, a fellow student who is now a PE teacher, Mikio spoke very of a Tomas I hardly remember to be honest and saying you know, you're very generous with your time you're always there to help us with assignments and it's good to remember remind of that too so the sharing yes I think um it's it, how is it my thing I don't answer I suppose maybe my father for example um was I, mean, I always remember one of my clearest memories of my father still alive thank god he would be involved in the local group water scheme, voluntary basis. So that sense of giving to the community, um, mm-hmm. it, it was no no paid service or whatever. And he was out fixing a leak himself. He was a senior manager in Avonmore at the time, so he, he wasn't. Like, I mean, he's good with his hands. He was out fixing a leak on the side of the road in the in the buckets of rain. I've used the polite term in the buckets of rain. <laughs> and the following day, he was having dinner with the Russian ambassador because at the time Russia was opening up. The dairy companies were trying to you know, do the whole thing to you know market your business in that space. And I always remember that juxtaposition of giving of yourself to no matter what kind of office you may hold, no matter what kind of circles you may be moving in, it's important to to be of service, to give to give what you can. Yes. Um, I was inspired, and I think also I was very inspired by the example of teachers in school. Mm-hmm. Who uh, my Irish teacher, for example, uh, Pauline Tully, paid for me to go to the Gaeltacht in Perjir for an Easter course. Um, so as to train as a, a kinner, a leader. And that sent me on a 10-year journey of going back to the girl because you got a scholarship if you became a leader and so on. So that sense, I, I was inspired by the examples. Of, and, you know, be small gestures, big gestures to to give others a helping hand. Yeah. Um, and and I think that's, and I, I particularly, that's why I respond to your invitation so readily, Joe, is that I always know in conversations like this, precisely because I don't know what's ahead of me, I'm going to grow. And I hope that you might grow in this conversation too. So I'm sure I will. I already have done by encountering your writing because I'd heard of Thomas O'Rourke, but I didn't know about Thomas O'Rourke, and I didn't know anything mm. about you really. Mm. And now I've kind of I've read most of your blog articles. Um, <laughs> I am sorry, Joel. I thoroughly enjoyed them. No, I mean you're, you you write lyrically. Mm. I mean I wish I could write like that. And you obviously. I don't know whether you just spend all day looking up quotes or whether you are really that well read, but probably a bit oh. of both. <laughs> but I mean, and the cultural references come from far and wide, don't they? You know, I mean, there's there's academic stuff. There's there's you know there's there's Sheldon and, and the Mandalorian and, and <laughs> I mean, you know all kinds of stuff's coming in. Khalil Gibran and yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, I, 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 I kind of observing myself and, and hearing back from others. So I, you know, I, I do like to go on flights of fact. I love lyrical language. <clears throat> I did a poetry masterclass recently where the, the, the tutor, well, Mary O'Donnell, she's a member based on it, so it's more just a tutor, commented on my sensitivity to melody of language. Yes. 
I think yeah. you're picking up on the same thing. But I'm always keen to anchor myself with a wisp of roguishness. Yes. So hence, hence the Bazinga title. You know that it's it's Sheldon's one of the most intelligent characters on the program, and he's just yeah. <laughs> and yes, his exclamation is Bazinga, and that's his effort of humor. For example, like, the minute he was using this, I thought, God, that'd be a great title for a blog. Um, so yeah, no, the, um, the 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 blog and and where that oh, and the references. I think there's there's two secrets to the trade. I'd say for me, there one is. I set myself the challenge about 20, I'm on block 20 now, so about 20 weeks ago, that every Sunday morning, without any pre-plan of agenda, I will write something to reflect on what's grabbing my attention in or around that time. It could be during the week, an, an article I've read in the paper, and typically you get fairly good, rich pickings in the garage in the New York Times and the Irish Times. You get something in those three, or the books I'm reading. So th there's an immediacy to, to the thing. But Evernote, I have it. I'm with. I have an account with Evernote for ten years now, and I tags. And I have too many tags actually, but that's very handy for if you're if you're if you're. I find myself going in a train of thoughts. That reminds me of a note from such and such a time. I'll go dig up the course if I can and go looking for it. Um. So the the logo of Evernote is very apt. It's an elephant, you know, and it, it yeah, really does I guess. Yeah. <laughs> that that's where the the the. But I I have an eclectic taste in music as well. Christy Moore, the Foo Fighters you know, more recent modern stuff as well, that there, there's a, an innate longing in me for beauty. Yes. Of any kind. Yeah. And I remember going to a concert of Martin Hayes's, the, the Fiddler, for example, at the first time I heard him play in the National Concert Hall, God be with the days. And I, th I remember thinking, I, I, I love listening to music. And my wife says I'm a musical ear. She studied music now formally to, to level eight and so on. So she's much more um, immersed in the air than I would be. But I remember thinking, you know, you know, instinctively when you've been in the company of genius of any kind. Mm. Martin is a classic example. When you see him on stage, when you hear his music, you might not have a clue how he's got to that level of proficiency, but you are ecstatic. Yeah. You are bathed in the and I think that's that again come back to your earlier comment, a genius that shares. Yes. A genius that shares its gift. Martin's very he he, he I remember he taught actually, I was going to a, a symposium in the Burring College of Art from where I got the idea for beacons and not know much was about what was how, how the agenda would work and so on but he was a kind of a, a, an artist in residence for the event and on the dinner of the first or second night he did a kind of a mixture of a kind of a reflection with the audience in the restaurant and playing some pieces mm. and I always remember he played a short kind of very sample standard piece from a traditional music piece and he said if you listen to the variations in the lines actually what traditional music is is a series of conversations that the lines respond to each other. So the first line is yes, it, each, it, other, each other. Right. Yeah, they come in and out and, and it's really a conversation. Good. And I thought that there's something in that. So yeah, so yeah. a genius that shares is a genius that, that appeals to me. That's wonderful. And I mean in the last two minutes you've you've mentioned reading. Mm. So obviously reading is important to you. I mean, you know, that's three major newspapers plus all the books that you're reading and stuff. Mm. So mm. you you feel like reading is important. You've got lovely photography up behind you. And I'm I'm a photographer, so I mean, you know, I see that. Yeah. Um, you, you're talking about music. I remember when I was 18, um, Segovia, Andre Segovia, came to Bolton, <laughs> where I was in <laughs> in the north of England. Can you imagine? And he played, he played, and it must have been one of his last live concerts. Wow. He, he played the evening in Bolton, and I remember sitting there just awestruck, mm. kind of realizing that I was in the presence of genius mm -hmm. and he was retuning his guitar on stage because the lights were turned up too high 
and it was it was changing the the pitch mm -hmm. so he, while he was playing he was retuning his guitar <laughs> I mean, and it was just uh, phenomenal and it wasn't perfect you know but it didn't it didn't matter no no it was the, the, so all these different art forms inform you do you think do you think that's important do you think it's important for people generally or educators particularly to 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 take in different influences from from the arts i do um that's a very good question actually no i i, I hadn't seen that one coming um <laughs> and it's not on my list either so no, but... <laughs> in school it, 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 it's a textbook you do your essays it's a very mm. much you know and, and i loved my school of my education but there was no I woodwork was for the other streamed classes. We did mechanical drawing, so didn't get much opportunity to work with my hands either. Um, and it's, that's been a process of ever-ending discovery. Again, I'm innately drawn to a longing for, for beauty of all kinds. So my, my eldest brother, that would be a much more accomplished photographer than I would be, but those are all my own photos you see on the, on, over my this shoulder here. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So the ones are the, taken from uh, the eldest son of one of my best friends from college in Wexford, Killian Doyle. But there, the, the other ones are from me. If you're taking a diversity of sources, absolutely. Um, I recently I'm working my way through Mark Nepo's Drinking from the River of Light. So yes, and you quoted him on your last. Yes, book. yeah. And I'm working my way through that for a year now, and I'm only about two thirds of the way through it because it's a series of reflect. To do it properly, it takes a long time. The most recent one is about exploring windows, the window of the eyes, the window of the heart, and so on. And one of the reflections then said to uh, asks you to say to reflect on what's your favorite window. Uh, and I thought of the window of the ear. Mm. Because uh, to, to the chagrin of some of my colleagues in the council, I said recently, apparently the ear is one of the few, unlike the eyes, they never close um, at all. Even when you're asleep, the ear is never closed. They're always taking in, always. And I think that's why music and song and so on are such an important part of our lives. Um, and I think I, I wrote in the reflection that, that they must trickle down into the heart in ways that you're simply not aware of. Yeah. But when you tap the water table, the geezer bursts. Mm. So, yes, I mean, beautiful pictures, beautiful. And even on a, on a neuroscience level, I understand there's actually a positive impact. When you, if I was to cast my eyes out the window now, apparently, there's a momentary relaxation for the brain because I've gone from a very narrow focus here yeah. on the, the, the screen <laughs> to a sky horizon, for yes. example. So beauty, imagery, you know, what's this, um, as a Keats, all you are vexed and tired, feast your eyes upon the wideness of the sea. So yes, imagery, song, and and, and even poetry, and, and poetry has <clears throat> a bad rep in terms of, and some people, I've, I've recently established a poetry group of a Friday evening, it's a pure voluntary thing with five, six people, and it's not an academic analysis, it's very much a case of bring a favorite poem, could be your own composition, you read it, we have a moment's silence, and then whatever your personal response that might be, say it. Yeah. And you can feel mm. this kind of sense of it's it's actually another portal into life. It is, isn't it? And poetry is a, is a way of expression, whether you write it or whether you read it. But it's a different level of textual expression, isn't it? It is. Very uh, much more visceral and emotional and kind yes. of close to you. Yes. And, yeah. and it's a pairing back. I, I mean, I think poetry for me is almost, the, it's, it's, it's the poems and it's the conversation around poems. Yes. Because that's, that's, how, that's how you unpack. That's, yeah. You read, you have a certain interpretation, but that's in your own head. And when you hear others talking about it, it's like, and that's coming back to your point about the diversity of input. For me, I, I remember vividly my, my English teacher, Louise Williamson, who passed away a couple of years ago, unfortunately, in the junior cycle. She would always get us as, as a class 
to talk about the poem before we wrote about it. Mm. And what you found then was 15 other voices, inputs coming into your head. You know, yeah. it, it really is, oh, I never, you literally never thought I never of thought that. of that. that. I didn't hear that in the poem. Correct. I didn't make that linkage in my head, Correct. all that stuff, yeah. So what I love is discerning patterns where they've been invisible before, that whether it's a, you know, a, a song remind me of a poem or vice versa, remind you of an image or a painting or an experience previously. And yes, I think a real rich diversity of, of, of exposition, of putting yourself in the way Get out of your own head and get in the way so that as life passes you by, it really enriches you. It kind of it opens you up and helps you grow. It's it's I love you kind of bringing that up because I, I remember very vividly and I was probably only eight or nine, which is like 50 years ago now. <laughs> and I remember um, Xanadu. Yeah, you know, in Xanadu de Kubla Khan, a stately pleasure dome decree. And and I always remember that phrase, um, through caverns measureless to man, down to the sunlit sea. And I always remember reading that line and it kind of conjuring up in my head this amazing kind of vista, which was so real to me and has remained real to me ever since. And I think that's probably why I've always loved Tolkien and, you know, Hall of the Mountain King and, and all this kind of stuff, because it, it just awoke in me that that wonder of that scene that was in here that mm. somebody else had written all those years ago with mm. Blake, isn't it? Um, and and had yet yeah, kind of sparked this this thing in me which was just amazing yeah fantastic let's come back let's come back mm. okay. a little bit who were your educational inspirations and why and you've listed a huge number of teachers and stuff so just you know pick 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 one or two and just tell me why tell me why they were important to you what what did they give you what did they spark well, what, yeah I, i'll pick one or two so the first i pick uh, and this, i could talk about them all as you say but louise williamson the english teacher as well as that thing of you know conversing before you write yeah i, I always remember there was a key moment when we were studying and it was the lake all the text we were studying but she out of the blue Maria, drew a linkage between uh, the line of the Merchant of Venice and the line of the Lake Isle of Venice Free by Yeats. Right. So the Merchant of Venice is where Portia says, the quality of mercy is not strained, the drop it is the gentle rain from heaven. And she commented that this, in her, in her experience, in her past, had reminded the line of the Lake Isle of Venice Free, and I shall have some peace there, for peace comes dropping slow. Mm. And I, th I remember thinking, wow, you know, <sighs> centuries apart, different you know, genres, yeah. linking and it, I don't think I consciously necessarily formed the idea but so I, I think looking back it certainly planted the seed of there are linkages everywhere there are connections everywhere and that resonance that can ambush you in a good way is just waiting there in the long grass and in, again in a good way so I think she in particular um, at, at that stage of my life uh, had a seminal influence on my sense of what teaching should be about not yeah. necessarily about absorbing and vibing and regurgitating, but about exploring with a sense of wonder. Um, and towards the end of her life, I, when she was getting ill, I visited her a couple of times and she would have had a profound influence in, uh, in terms of really the meaning of life um, mm. and her courage and her fortitude and um, speaking of her family and her love of her family and all the rest. So yeah, she'd be one, definitely, I, I, I would say. Um, 
I'm trying to think of all the other, other teachers, like, maybe quick. I think John Coolahan, actually, the professor, John, I'll go with John Coolahan now, because the second one I would mention. And again, <laughs> there's a passion here. He's not with us anymore, unfortunately. He died a couple of years too. And I got to know him quite well in my time as CEO of the Teaching Council. And I remember the first time I went to visit him, he, he was in his home. And he sat on, I think, what it would be his chair, and I sat on mine, and he mm. expounded, as John would be wont to do. And he had this funny <laughs> way of doing it in an inclusive way. So he mm. didn't feel like he'd been talked at. Like, I mean, I'm being immersed by erudition yeah. and insight yeah. and so on. And the following year, I thought it was deliberate or not, but he swapped seats. And he grilled me, and he kind of got me to talk. Right. And I remember thinking, okay, if John Coon's put me here, that's a massive, you know, but I suppose um compliment certainly a huge honor um and i think particularly admired apart from that the, the inspiration part comes from he chaired the first and to date only national education convention in the country uh, out of which came the education act of 98 and the teaching council act of 2001 actually amongst other pieces i think and that sense of a big conversation bringing everybody together okay let's really get down to brass tacks what do we value in education? You know, we we have so much to be proud of in Irish education, still do. But from a position of strength, what are we missing? What might we do better? And he was tasked with lead, with hosting that big conversation, holding that space, um, and both that skill, but the the purpose to which it was put, I had a huge admiration for. Um, and I think he's 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 also what stood out for. I mean, he was at the top of his game in terms of academic um, work and research and so on. He was inter international reputation, the OECD. But his ability to navigate the political space as well as the academic and the education policy to translate. Yes. He's lovely with his hands. He always had the hands going in this kind of yeah. roly-poly way when he was talking, you know, integration, progression and so on. So he would be an, another major influence in inspiration education. That's, that's lovely. That's lovely. And, it, and, and another thing that I loved when you put that list of teachers, and it's like there's a dozen more, mm. more names, almost all of them are primary school teachers. So they yes. were very formative years, weren't they? That, mm. you know, there must have been other things happened to you later, but yeah. these were yeah. primary, and you've you've put, still put them down now. Oh, yes, that's, that's that's amazing. That's, that's that's wonderful. It just shows, doesn't it, that no matter what level you're teaching at, whether you're teaching, you know, at PhD or master's level, or whether you're a secondary school teacher or a primary school teacher or a Montessori teacher or whatever, you can change people's lives. Yes. Well, I mean, like, like my, my Irish language teacher in, in school, in post-primary Paul in Tully, literally set me on the, the journey of a lifetime. Um, mm -hmm. when, when I went to the Gaeltacht in those summers, I, I mean, I, I was baptised Thomas O'Rourke. Right. By the time I got to college and I'd been to the Aran Islands, Inish Moor, three or four years in a row at that stage, I changed my name on the register to Thomas O'Rourke. Okay. And that's been, everyone knows me as Thomas now, except my mother and my father and my, my siblings. You know, it's Thomas, whereas they still call me Thomas at home. So I literally re re readopted my identity as a result. Yes. Um, wow. Learned so you, and that, and I speak Irish to my kids every day. So all of that, that that's a life changing uh, intervention for sure. Yeah, I mean, as as a blow in from the UK, you know, I've only been here twenty one years. I have two two. That's, I, not, a, that's two, not a blow in, Joel. You're you're one of us now. <laughs> 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 I mean, they they come home with Irish, and I mean, I'm I just you know, I just rise my head. <laughs> oh dear, yes, I'm, I must I must find a good teacher somewhere, and, and, and <laughs> I'd help you out there. Don't you worry. Yeah, yeah. Well, you might know one or two, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
So, okay, so you know, you're you're head of the teaching council, mm -hmm. um, and you know, this is your your space. Mm -hmm. So, what does excite you most about Irish education at the moment, and and what's what's happening? What's you know, what's happening in terms of you know, the, an educator who might be listening to the podcast that that we should know about, that we should be getting excited about, that we should be getting involved in. I think I think we're, we're, we're things have been cracked open, right? And we're having conversations we never thought we would have, and we're now asking I think better questions. Is that because of COVID or just? just... Oh, I think so hugely. Yeah, yeah. COVID, like it, it, I think I've seen it said a couple of times in public now, but apocalypse apparently the original meaning is unveiling rather than crisis or end of world or end of mm -hmm. times. Okay. So what COVID exposed to everyone and literally, you know, because it affected every single person in the country, every parent, every teacher, for example, parents have a newfound appreciation of how complex teaching is. Yes. Okay. Parents that we all, I think society and the economy has a newfound appreciation of how important schools are to the practical functioning of society and the economy. Yeah. Um, this is at a visceral level. So that we've always argued in kind of highfalutin terms, oh, education as an island nation with no natural resources, worth, you know, no oil fields and so on. Our people, our talent, our key resource, our education, like Finland, education is more vital to us than it would be, let's say, like, of Russia or the, or the States and so on. Right. So mm -hmm. we've always known that or argued that, but at a fundamental practical level, even we're working from home, can't work without schools being open. No, because parents we can't. We know that now. We know, right? So, so, so. I wasn't grey before COVID. <laughs> Get off! Get off out of that stuff! <laughs> I'm not buying that. <laughs> but, um, and I think, for example, in, in not in any. I think what's really interesting is the questions are being asked, and there's genuinely no predetermined agenda behind them. So, for example, many people are scratching their heads and wondering, what exactly is the purpose of state certification of exams, of terminal exams at sixth year? What? what what are we? What do we really want to be doing as our young people, young adults, graduate from school? Whether they go further education, apprenticeships, or they go degree routes and so on, and all the rest, or go straight into employment, what do we want their lasting memory of school to be? Yeah, I was speaking to someone in the Scottish context earlier today, and they were talking about how there are four key areas of development that the Scottish government has set for our education. Only one of which is successful learning, confident citizen, response. There's a few that come out the other three. And the point they were making was that the exam system will only answer, will only give data to government for one of those four areas. Yeah, yeah. So, and this is where, you know, in a democracy, thankfully, where, where collectively society is supposed to be determining through its political representatives, well, we'll start with what our goals are. Then yes. we work out how we want to achieve them. Mm. But I think heretofore the debate has been, well, this is how we're achieving our goals. So wherever you adjust the end of the pipeline, the pipe's going to be the same. Yes. And that doesn't, that never really made any sense. And it makes a lot less sense now. So what's exciting now is that everybody's open to those conversations. Right. Um, how schools responded to the crisis in terms of upskilling of teachers in their thousands between September and December. So that the, yeah. the nature of remote learning, and I've seen this in my own house here, yes. uh, was light years what it was from where it was in March, April last year. Because schools quietly just got into it, teachers upskilled themselves. And around the country, the, the experience was moved on in, in so many ways. And now because so many things have been done that people said couldn't be done, it's like, what else is possible? Yes. There's that question that's been asked now, isn't it? Yeah, if we could do that, yeah. we, could, do we could do almost anything, can't we? Yeah. But that's number one. And what's really interesting, and we did the webinar series we referred to at the beginning. And again, it's not lip service, it's not uh, platitudes. The, relation, the importance of relationships in education is now explicated, is now out there in the open. That yeah. everyone's saying, oh my God, 
what's the difference to school? People gather together in the one space to help each other to learn. Yeah. At its simplest, that's what schools are about. And that's what people miss the most. I mean, there are, my youngest daughter was practically in, in tears as the last week of school came to an end. Oh, I, I don't want this to end, Mammy. <gasps> because she's going to miss her friends, her teacher, the teacher's really crying. <laughs> so that, and that's, so, and then he, it, 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 like, psych, it's almost, in some respects, I sometimes feel that the word robust is a word that scares me the most in education discourse. Because what, what good is a robust system if the people aren't being included? Yeah. So th that's the exciting part that we're having conversations, we're asking new questions, and everyone seems open to the conversation. Whereas heretofore, you might have had kind of adoption of positions very early on. Well, here's our red line, here's our red line, and you can negotiate between those two extremes. And mm. everyone's kind of saying, mm, actually, you know what? what? What do we really value? What's important in education? And now, while we're exploring that, let's be open to how we might verify or determine the certain, you know, how how those those outcomes are are, are achieved. Um, the digital the digital evolution or revolution is obviously very exciting, but that's that's been building for a while. I think it's more about we're now really open as per I think the government's um, the point for government talks about the citizens' assembly for education that can't come soon enough in my view. I think no. our, and I think the momentum is building for that in terms of yeah. that opens. So that, that's the exciting thing I think that's happened right now in our education. So, I mean, this, this, this thing about conversations, and I mean, you know, I met you first in the Innovation Academy, and, and that program brings together educators from all different spaces. I mean, my, my instance of the diploma had, had a, a teacher who teaches in prisons, it had primary school teachers, it had a vet, it had doctors, it had myself from the business school, you know, and it was, it was just such an amazing experience learning from all these different teachers so <clears throat> how do we how do we make that bigger yeah you know whether that's just in ireland or whether it's on a on a even bigger stage how do we connect teachers and lecturers and coaches and you know primary school and secondary school and high school and and you know how do we how do we have a proper conversation rather than you know just to talking to each other in the common room <laughs> which we don't have anymore because we're, we're no. not, still not up there are we but, you know how, how can we connect all the educators together and learn from each other because i've learned so much in the last year and a half mm -hmm. from other educators and they weren't the educators that i thought i would learn from yes you know, mm -hmm. I mean, Aideen was a primary school teacher on my course, and I, I, I wondered whether I was going to get anything from, you know, anything that kind of came from a primary school teacher. Actually, I learned more from Aideen than probably from anybody else on the whole course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I hazard a guess that I don't know Aideen, but she might have been as surprised as you were by that. I think sometimes yeah. the, the lack of confidence, but sometimes people might conflate confidence with arrogance. Yes. And yet, and that might be an Irish trait. I don't know if, if it's unique or not, but certainly teachers themselves, right? I remember a teacher at Failshire in the second or third year um, coming up to me and saying, sorry for interrupting you, Tomasa. I'm just a teacher. Uh, and I said, don't ever apologize for being a teacher. You, that, that's one of the most important professions we have. So they, how do we get the conversations going? There's two things I would say. One, there's the, the piece about our understanding as a society of what teachers' role is, and I'll explain more of that in a second. And the second is the Beacons project we're doing with the EU and the OECD. Right. And I didn't know about Beacons, so you so yeah. you need to tell us about that. Yeah. So, 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 so give us those two points. Explain. Those two points. So the first one is simply that I think the default position, if we, if we, if we I think, how should I put this? 
the stereotypical assumption in some media commentary out there can be very often, you know, the education is conservative, behind the times, not uh, keeping pace to innovation and so on. And number one, I would challenge that robustly to, to talk against myself and use that term. But number two, if we believe there is a challenge with teachers not being up to speed with innovation and so on, we need to give them the time to actually get their heads around what's going on. So, and I think very often sometimes there's a kind of a comment made or a disc, discourse that will say, if teachers aren't teaching in the class and they're not doing their job. So the idea of doing your teacher's professional learning, even some of it in your own time, to some people be anathema that, you know, I'm a parent, I want you in the classroom doing your job, teaching my kids and don't, and spare me your thing about doing <clears throat> leadership development in, in, in a program or whatever. How am I so supposed I, to improve if you don't give me that time? That's I mean, the key. this podcast, those exactly right now, this is funded by the, the HCI, you know, commune funding. Yes. To do exactly that. Give me a, give me a term off. Yes. Explore. Yes. Innovation in teaching. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I think that that's one piece of God. I think other professions are ahead of teaching in that regard, that it's understood and assumed your professional learns part of your core role as a professional. I'm not quite sure that in the in the wider kind of um, societal view that teaching is quite there yet. So yeah. I think and we know from failure alone because they're coming their thousands. You mm. create the space. You, you you they will they will take the time. But if you create the favorable space and to mix freely, with, not just for the private path. <laughs> You build it and they will come. Build it, they come. And actually, I know I I, I watched that movie. I, 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 know it's a cliche. I know it's a cliche, but it actually, as my as a former lecturer in, in UCD, Alan Harrison, God rest him, said one time, the problem with cliches is that they're very often true. Yeah. So people, it, but anyway, so I think that we know from, we've hard evidence to show, given the opportunity and the support of the space, teachers will freely mix and mingle and innovate, no problem. Primary, to take your comment another way, a primary, a former primary principal member of council, Colin Hart, uh, who went to fail a couple of times and the biggest advantage the biggest breakthrough of failure was bringing primary and post-primary teachers together for the first yeah. time in a common space yeah and he was in as a primary teacher himself so that's number one and then number two in terms of facilitating the conversations um we are working out the answer i think to your question joe in another way or hoping to do so to the beacons project with the eu and the oecd so firstly what is beacons in a nutshell where it's a model of conversational engagement between teachers parents and students at the local community level where they talk as equals effectively on matters of importance to them. No predetermined agenda. There's a particular skill of facilitation involved, obviously. We've had seven or eight pilot events in, and in Steinman and Ennis and County Clare, Baltimore, Glass and Wicklow, Northeast Inner City in Dublin, where about 50 people with a mix of those voices came together and blew themselves away in terms of what they learned about each other and their own sense of agency. So we applied then to the EU under what's called a technical support instrument, whereby if member states come to them with areas or ideas they particularly want to explore, but want you know, um, top class international expertise and support, they can apply to an EU fund to do that. So we brought our idea to the EU. The EU saw was particularly pertinent in the context of COVID and school community resilience and recovery. And we were awarded support over a two-year time frame, 24 months. And what happens is the EU commission another body, in this case, the OECD, who will look at the international context for stakeholder engagement. They will pilot a model. Uh, is, it, is it possible? This is a question that I don't, and in terms of true innovation, this might not work. No, but uh, that's what innovation's for. I know. Right. But, but, yeah. but, the, but the EU and the OECD are also watching Joe's have less room to, to, to get out of this one, you know. But the, the idea is, is it possible to scale a model so the, the, your vision of conversational engagement between teachers, parents and students and scientists and business community leaders and so on can actually become the norm. But it's, it's, like not... the old, it's like the old quality circles in GE that we used to use. OK. You know, where you, you basically brought a set of different stakeholders into the room and said, right, talk. 
And whatever you come up with, yeah, we're going to make a change. Yes. And you recommend a change and we will implement it. So yes. recommend a change and we'll implement it. That's it. That, that's it. Brilliant. Okay. So this is going to work. I'm going to show it's going to work in, in, in education. So yeah, that's exactly, that sounds very, very similar. Um, and it, it's almost as if education is working so well, people have not seen the need for it to do this before. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's almost become a victim of its own success. And it's like, there was this, there was this I, huge disruption with COVID that threw out that that it threw a spanner into the works for a while, yeah. didn't? It? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think the other piece of that inclusion in particular is bringing asking huge questions of the system. Um, and I think for, and it's such an emotionally charged space for parents of children with additional or special needs. Yes. Teach themselves in the pressure, you know, and not, not having ready access to the research and the resources that they feel would be necessary. And I think that in particular. And I think maybe the penny of it's slow to drop in the wider system and this one, but it's getting there now. It's beyond the what. It's oh, yeah. It's not about maybe a particular policy. It's about we need to actually reconnect with each other in, in new ways as people because this dialogue of the day, where the parents have the research very often in ways that the teachers don't, yep. are saying, "I want my child to be taught this way," and they're just going, Ooh, "The hands are up," you know, and all the rest. So I think we need to refashion the conversation because the the expectations of inclusion of inclusive education. The, the, the social and moral aspects of it are beyond syllabus, beyond curriculum, beyond the particular resource. It's about, I'm just a, per, a human being trying to do my best. I'm a parent trying to do my best. I'm a teacher trying to do my best. And but instead that, of having that, this conflict, can we actually have a conversation? I mean, things like inclusion and accessibility. I mean, I've been teaching now for 15 years or so. And I mean, I, was, I, I felt so guilty at the end of last year when I completed the UDL digital badge universal design mm. learning that ahead.ie have kind of rolled out to 600 odd last year and and it's going to be rolled out to probably 2000 odd people Brilliant. this year um lisa padden's heading that up who i'm who i'm talking to on the podcast actually in a, in a week or two um so how do we get teachers one aware and two give them the time and the space to kind of take this stuff on and make those little plus ones you know and it, it doesn't have to be completely redefine their whole teaching style, does it? It, it just make small changes and incrementally improve. But there's a fear. Yes. And they're, they're pressured on time mm -hmm. because they have curriculums to teach and, and the rest of it. And they've got parents looking over their shoulder and, and, and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So, so how, do we, how do we enable, you know, the, the teacher in the national school down the road yeah. to make these changes? I, I, I think... It's not so much about enabling. I know, I know where the question is coming from. Um, it's about you say making them aware and creating a space that they will yeah. and inviting them in. Yes. So I've had plenty of time as a teaching counselor reflect on the dynamics of change management at a systemic level, um, learning from mistakes as well as achievements, to be clear. And I think the 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 next I I suspect that in the next five years, one of the big issues that will um the council have to look at. Is the whole area of teachers' professional learning and how yeah. and, and the systemic recognition of that, to 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 the purpose of which will be to enhance the quality of learning experience for everybody. Because hmm. I mean, CPD now, yeah. I don't know, I don't know for for teachers at secondary and primary level, but but what I hear, and this is anecdotal, mm. is they do their CPD hours. Oh in, yes, in the summer, in the summer holidays. Mm. Because there's no time in the term time. 
So they, they, there's different, I, I know in Prime, for example, there's what's called summer courses and they get mm -hmm. what's called EPV days during yeah. the year, extra personal vacation days for them. Post Prime, there, you know, there is pressure, I think, to, to, to create the, the, what's this, the NCCA called the conducive landscape. Yes. So one will be, and I think curriculum is heading this way, it's all but more space. There's only so much time in the day, but create more space and the right invitation. So mm. Fails is one example, and we, we want to grow Fails, I think, at, at a regional level. Now, there's been some very innovative schools like Kinsale Community School, Colossia Breeden, Clondalkin have taken our Fails Scholar brand and run with that. Actually, Kinsale Community School inspired the idea of a Fails Scholar, where they actually use those Croke Park hours, which have a mixed reputation amongst post-primary teachers, but they do their own thing with them. And they actually run six parallel workshops where teachers in the school teach each other of an innovative methodology they themselves have discovered. And the power oh, of peer right. to peer. Oh, it's, it's yeah, yeah. Powerful stuff. Yeah. Powerful stuff. Um, you know, they 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 really are cutting edge in that space. And to see that, and so that in some respects, the Croke Park hours are nothing new. The uh, the CPD that teachers were engaging in has always been available. Yes. But what's the difference is they create, they made, they chose their own space and made their own time to share it internally at the school level. So if you look at the research that Dillian William has, I think, published some years ago, the degree of intra-school variation in professional practice tends to be greater than the degree of inter-school variation. Right, okay. Yeah, which is I found quite, quite fascinating. So that importance of at school level, sharing the learning so that the mm -hmm. peers is quite important from a, based on the evidence that, that we're aware from Dillian William. That's one. The other space aspect would be the curriculum and how that's understood and mediated. And I think the NCC are heading that direction. So they're talking more and more of curricular frameworks. So less prescription of content and more scope for the teacher to become as much a curriculum maker in real time as, as, as there would be a, perhaps a curriculum receiver in the past. Because I think inclusive education is driving that demand. If, if as Adam Harris says, when you've met a child with autism, all you can say is you've had one child with autism, their mm -hmm. needs are so unique people are going to be looking for a much more responsive system in the next in the medium in the short to medium term future they don't want to hear about that's what the curriculum has dictated and prescribed and therefore i can't deviate that's not what the system is saying actually i think anymore and parents won't take that anymore um and actually i i i know from my own personal experience and spoken to teachers when they're getting the zone with the with the framework that supports initial guidance they enjoyed that experience any of the teachers i've met in the innovation academy that's, they're making curriculum almost in real time. They're making something new from scratch with peers from a diversity of backgrounds, and they love it. They mm -hmm. absolutely love it. So I think that the, the clarity around from the system of what its expectations actually are and the facilitation of a space for teachers, parents, and students to actually converse with each other and say, well, what do you want out of your child's education beyond the parent-teacher? That does all drive time. And that's going to have implications, I would think, in terms of, you know, the whole idea of, you know, the, the state growing bigger as a result of COVID, the tax base to support that. But if we want kind of, you know, cutting edge, um, responsive of that nature, teachers will definitely need time to both engage in learning, reflect on it, apply it, reflect yeah. on that application and, and adapt. Yeah, because sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Correct. It's the scary thing, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So, so that, I mean we've got five more minutes so I, I'm conscious we've got to wrap up so talk about failure 2021 then um, because that's coming up and it's transforming teaching in a sustainable world yes and then we'll finish off with your plus one which was flipped classroom so uh, okay 
Yeah. Yeah. So Festival 21 is our, it's our annual festival to mark World Teachers Day. It stands for Festival of Education and Learning and Teaching Excellence. But it's right. a Gaelic. I didn't yeah. know that. Ah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a toothbrush moment. I'm not sure, I'm not sure where the innovation handbook that appears, but that was my toothbrush moment where I come up with the, the title. And, and I'll, also, put link, I'll put the link to Felcher in the in the show notes. So if brilliant, you know, brilliant. Yeah. And it's a, an Irish language word meaning festivals, and it's a, it, a non shamelessly um, open celebration. It's not about certificates and awards. It's about come come and come and show and share and, and tell. And this year's event is taking place online again. We had the biggest audience ever last year when we went online because again a forced innovation because we had had to be in the RDS. I think or, or DC. I think it was. But it's going to be fully online. We had 1,500 teachers, uh, peak audience view, watching the interview with Mary Robinson last year. We had 3,000 teachers in total logging at different stages of the day. Wow. It's a mixture of Roddy Doyle as this year's keynote interviewee. We have, we've gone for the conversational engagement there again, rather than the keynote address over the last number of years. So I'm looking forward to that big time. I would have read Roddy Doyle's books and loved the films as well, actually. Yeah. And then there's a mixture of workshops, showcases. Some of them are live, some of them are recorded showcases and opportunities for Q&A and panel discussions throughout the day. And we have a particular emphasis on creativity. So we're still putting the panels together. There'll be further details available, hopefully by the end of August, mm -hmm. I'll be emailing all teachers. But it's important for your listeners to understand that we're trying to grow this all the time. It's open to the public. So any, while well, the majority of our audience are teachers, we do engage with parents networks and so on. So we want students, people from all walks of life, leaders from all walks of life, come and see the incredible things teachers are doing talk to them about those things and have those conversations it's a free open space for a celebration and sharing of innovation and teaching and learning and you'll go away buzzing oh completely I, I, i've it's been to a couple of these conferences recently you know oh, not good. other ones and i mean yeah. i've made you know connections and, and i've followed up with emails and and it's been amazing yeah it's my it's my professional christmas it comes once a year it's almost like a wedding does if the work goes on it's like the elves in the shop you know all year long we're getting ready for the next one <laughs> big bang of a day and then you get ready for the next one all over again so it's yeah. really worth going to so will you have a long white beard that day <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm phonically challenged as you can That's see right. <laughs> so i'm not worried about beards at this stage though <laughs> wonderful okay so so that was your call to action was was attend felcher so so we've, we've we've put that in that's great so so just to finish off then you know the the podcast is called plus one because that's from the udl of just make one change mm -hmm. make one change to your teaching practice or your classroom or whatever and and you your plus one was flip classroom mm. portfolio approach to grammar teaching for irish so, okay. so uh, tell me tell me about that well there are two separate ideas i'll go with the first one the flip right, classroom okay. and that's inspired by again a, a primary teacher bianca new rogan who passed away in her early 30s some years ago mm. and she presented research on this so essentially I'm, I'm sure many of the audience are familiar with it already but it does go back to first principles more so it doesn't attain so what happens is that the teacher, in, and it was in primary school as I came across this, they will either make their own video material or find appropriate video material that's in like YouTube yeah. to essentially impart the content. And they will ask the children in the class, please watch this video content before the class on maths, whatever, next Tuesday and so on. So you take the delivery of content out of the classroom time and space and you expect the children to watch it uh, beforehand. And what that means essentially is it really, it, I mean, there's, we've been talking about differentiation education for decades nearly at this stage, but it really empowers the teacher to make it, to fully realize the, the potential of differentiation for every single learner. Because what it means is that the teacher now can spend almost all the class time going around to students, differentiating the content for them. 
Um, and questions about it and facilitating discussions. Yes. And... Meet, meet them where they're at and, and, and you know, avoiding the kind of the almost potential for humiliation in the class of asking a stupid question and so on. Mm. They're able to float freely around the class. And there's a lot more to them. But that's the core essence idea that it completely turns the idea rather than I'm going to impart the content now and go, you go home and practice it. It turns it completely on its head and the content is delivered via home and you actually practice and work it through and you are, are much it's actually you know if teaching is as much as a, a personal endeavor it is a, a professional one you get close to the profession the personal heart of teaching in this process mm. what was interesting about the research project that bianca grogan presented some years ago she was teaching a local school as it happens here uh, at griffin educate together and it was part of her study for i think it was a phd and she's presented her interim findings. And it, there's a it's significant uh, degree of ethnic diversity in the catchment area of the school, mm. where the mothers apparently at, at the time would have reasonable English, but the fathers, for whatever reason, largely did not. Right. And right. one of the unexpected mm. benefits of the flipped classroom approach was the mothers told Bianca that the father's English came on in leaps and bounds. The reason being that they were by osmosis almost watching the videos with the kids at home yeah. and picking up the English. So she actually didn't, that wasn't an intended objective, but in terms of increasing the participation of parents, the children's learning, their, in, their inclusion in the community, and as well as the children's learning, it was a win-win-win-win-win. Unintended so, consequences, yes. wonderful. Yeah. Oh, completely. And it doesn't require hugely expensive equipment. You know, no. it, it obviously brought up on connection or some means of making sure the kids can watch the video. So there's some degree of technological um, equipment involved, but nothing too fancy, nothing too expensive. And actually, you, you get a better teaching day out of it, I think, from what, 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 what Bianca said. When I first heard about Flip Classroom and, and tried it, I was terrified mm. as a teacher mm. because, like, I'm going away from Sage on stage. I'm going away from didactic kind of delivery. Mm. And, and, and I'm going to have to ask answer questions and I'm going to, I don't know what's coming. You know, I don't know the next slide on my PowerPoint deck. I mean, that's, that's terrifying. <laughs> but that's the thing. It, it is, you've got, you've got much more interaction. All the questions they can ask you, it's, yeah. it's a completely different space. Yeah, it is. But it's a, but it's a space which once you become more confident in mm -hmm. is a much more rich space isn't it it's yes. a rich space for you as a teacher it's a richer space for your students oh completely so you've just got to kind of face the fear and do it anyway oh kind yeah of, yeah yeah absolutely absolutely right. listen this has been a great hour for me i don't know whether it was for you but <laughs> no, I've, no i've had great fun thank you so much for the opportunity it's been brilliant yeah well well thank you so much for taking the time and uh and i'll put all the links to everything in in, in the show notes and great. Uh, and as i say thank you thank you for coming on today okay. great stuff joe thanks a million Thank you very much.